I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, Sports Media Roundtable this week. Want to uh, get this in. We have uh, Kavitha Davidson, a sports writer and correspondent for Real Sports with Ryan Gumbel. And Ben Strauss, who covers sports and media for the Washington Post. In this podcast, we discuss uh, how the Brittany Griner story, how we expect it to be played within the sports world. It uh, broke literally an hour uh, prior to this podcast um, uh, being taped, uh, Brittany Griner um, coming home in a prisoner exchange. We also get into Fox's World Cup coverage, do a lot of that. Um, are the arson judge and the race to be first among transaction reporters. Coverage of Deshaun Watson from NFL Partners. Jenny Rentis in the New York Times wrote a really interesting piece where she watched... Um, she watched all the coverage uh, prior to Watson's uh, return to the NFL and how she perceived that to be. So really good 50-minute uh, discussion or so on sports media with Kavitha Davidson and Ben Strauss coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, um, very happy to have both these guests on. It's always good to uh, do a second podcast on the same week, particularly if they're um, – if the themes and topics are different, and this will be the case, as Renee Paquette and Grant Wall were earlier in the week. And now we have Kavitha Davidson, as I mentioned earlier, sports writer and a correspondent for Real Sports with Brian Gumbel, and Ben Strauss, who covers sports and media for the Washington Post. I think one of these uh, guests is in Washington, D.C., and the other is in New York. And welcome, Kavitha and Ben, to the Sports Media Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Kavitha, it's always good to hear your voice because I, I have told you this before. You you literally have the perfect NPR voice. There's no guest I think I've had on 260 episodes of this podcast so far that has that kind of like perfect uh, national public radio kind of voice. You were just born with it. I always appreciate when you say that. Um, and one of the things when I first started podcasting was figuring out how to modulate my voice properly. So this is how I would speak if I were speaking to NPR. And this is how I speak when I speak to ESPN or um, if I'm talking about something a lot more exciting than probably I would be talking about on NPR. So I need you to be in a diner in somewhere in like rural Wisconsin, because that's like the perfect like NPR <laughs> story. You've discovered something very cool. All right. Anyway, um, serious topic before we start, what would have been the sort of the, the, the topics I had for you, um, you know, as we're taping this, um, White House announced that Brittany Griner has been released in exchange for the convicted Russian arms dealer, Victor Boot. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, very obviously the biggest story, uh, of the day so far as we're taping this, it goes without saying that, uh, I think all Americans hope that Paul Whelan somehow gets home and Russian officials had refused to, um, to free him. Where I want to start with you, Kavitha, is that you know that sports outlets um, 
are reticent many times, right, to to cover anything that sort of um, morphs into the political arena. To me, and I want to get Ben's take on this as well. If I'm running a sports outlet or a sports network or whatever, this is the big. This is my lead story of the day, unquestionably. But I think there are probably people out there who can make a good faith argument as to why you should cover it, but you want to then quickly move on to, uh, you know, whatever the the Bills and Jets are about to do on Sunday. So I just wondered. I want to just get a broad perspective from you and Ben to start with on this. Is that like, how do you think this should be played? in the sports world, if you guys were in charge of whatever digital or television or audio outlet that would be out there? Um, yeah, I mean, if I were if I were in charge, um, this this is the biggest story to me. Um, I think what and, and this is all tertiary to considerations of her safety and everything. I think that we should uh, we should we should caveat all these conversations with that. But to me, this story highlighted how difficult it is to live in this space that Ben and I kind of live in, in sports media, where every time I covered this story, um, I was exhausting sources that most sports writers don't have at the State Department, at the NSA, like, you know, things like that, trying to figure out exactly what the ethical thing was um, to thread that needle of what was newsworthy and worth covering and what was actually going to put her physical safety at risk. I think a lot of sports writers, I think, get a bad rap. I think a lot of sports writers end up as political writers because of how because of how similar the jobs are um, at the end of the day. But a lot of sports writers don't have the sourcing necessary to do a story like this. On the other side of that, um, you know, I do, I covered Brittany for a lot of outlets that are news outlets and not sports outlets necessarily. The other side of that is a lot of news reporters don't have the sports background to understand the dynamics of, for example, why she was in Russia in the first place. I had to correct a lot of people on some of, on some of those things. So this, I think this, this was a very difficult kind of middle ground in, in both of those worlds in media. I'm going to shift to you, Bennett. That's an interesting answer. I had TJ Quinn and Dr. Danny Gilbert on this podcast many times. Dr. Danny Gilbert's a, uh, uh, kind of like a hostage negotiation expert uh, nationally. And obviously TJ Quinn is the fine uh, investigative reporter at ESPN. It's phenomenal reporting on this entire story. Yeah, yeah, really uh, to his credit and quite frankly to ESPN's credit, they made it front and center. So let me go to you, Ben. If you're in the newsroom right now at ESPN and you're, um, you know, Norby Williamson or or one of these people who has to make, uh, you know, decisions as to like, hey, what's our programming focus going to be? today how do you how do you play this story um outside of obviously if sports center's on you know you 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 break it but i want to get a sense from you like three uh, we're taping this in the morning by the way just for the listeners to know five hours from now six hours from now how heavy do you go on grinder if you're espn on all those platforms i do i think without a question uh number one it's the biggest story in sports right now and number two also that tj quinn has been the leading reporter on this to his credit and ESPN's as well. Um, obviously, it's uh, on Get Up. I saw this morning they broke in with the news. They covered it pretty extensively. Um, well, they should, and I'm sure that they will cover it on Sports Center. I do think there is sort of an interesting question of like, you know, on a debate show, like, like what would you do with this, right? I, I do think that like on Sports Center, you will see this as the lead story as well. It should be, but I think there's like an interesting question of like what you know, is there something to, to do here on 
around the horn or, you know, first take even. And I think there's a, the, 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 the obvious question that I would like to, um, you know, hear like ESPN's talking heads weigh in is, is sort of the, the, the salaries of WNBA players. And can, is there something to do with NBA money to make sure that these players do not have to go to Russia? I mean, do you look at, the, the collective bargaining agreement that the women's national team just um, negotiated. It's one pot of money. You know, what are we doing with that money? Um, and based on what happened to Brittany Griner, that's absolutely a conversation that should be had, you know, under the umbrella of the WNBA and the WNBA. And I would, I'm genuinely curious how, um, you know, somebody like Stephen A. Smith would think of that. So I think there's absolutely a news story here, but more you can do with this and more you should that I'm, I'm interested in hearing about. That's a, that's a, that's a really interesting point, Ben. And I, you know, the, the thing is like a place like ESPN is really actually in a great position to have people, whether it's Rebecca Lobo or LaChina Robinson, or actually they've hired Becky Hammond, who really is, has an interesting place here. Cause she literally played for the Russian team um, during the Olympics, but it would be incredibly valuable for the audience that they would be educated on, like, here is why players have had to play abroad. Here is why Brittany Griner played in Russia for multiple years. I had Candace Parker on this podcast a couple weeks ago. She played with Griner in Russia. Um, man, I'm, I'm, it's USS at, at Kattenberg. I'm going to blow the name of the, of the team <laughs> yeah. that they, they played for. But she explained, like, kind of like, like why this happened, why players had to play there, and the money, Kavitha, that they could make. Yeah. compared to their WNBA salaries was astronomical. So like you totally can understand why these players did this because it it was like a chance to have a little bit of generational wealth as opposed to waiting around for next June, right? For the MB, the WNBA to A hundred percent. Every time I've talked about this story um, for a news outlet, they have asked that question. Um, why was she in Russia in the first place? And I kind of alluded that to, um, you, you know, the first, the first conversation we had here um, and explaining the economic dynamics of, Obviously, with the latest collective bargaining agreement, the WNBA has up salaries, has up minimums. Um, they're, they're more of, of livable wages. Um, but the disparity in the money still very much exists. And, and we have to add, it's not just Russia. Russia is, you know, probably one of the, uh, the more frightening places that these players go to. But these players go to Turkey. They go to Israel. You know, they're, they're in Australia. There are, there, China. China, absolutely. Um, and you're talking about a difference in at least a million dollars of salary. Um, so right. so you do completely understand. Now, I, I will say, having talked to executives at both the WNBA and the WNBPA, um, the goal is for these women not to have to do that. The goal is for them to not just because the money should be there, but because there there's no rest on these women's bodies. They're not they don't have an off season. They take their off season and they go work a second job, essentially. So that is the goal. Um, the economic reality is that that's not where things are right now, but it is getting better. And the other thing I'll add is, you know, I heard a lot of people who aren't sports reporters, who aren't in in this industry, understandably frustrated that 
um, you know, a lot of people said if if it were LeBron, he would have been released yesterday. And 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 you know, the the WNBA and the NBA and the US State Department and everything, they're not doing enough. This was one of those instances where I can tell you the things that we were not allowed to report, the thing the negotiations that were happening behind the scenes with the leagues, with the unions, um, and and with the State Department, um were machinations that uh, that I think we'll have to continue to unpack now that she is safe and headed home. The last thing I want to say, and then Ben, we'll move on to the World Cup, is that the <laughs> one um, she was caught caught. Uh, let me, let me sort of, it's the wrong phrase because I don't actually. I want to even say that like to take Russia on face value in terms of if even there was anything illegal there, is absurd. And it's a little more frustrating that people just de facto believe that she committed a crime. Uh, you should not make that de facto assumption when it comes to Russian justice. That's one. Two, the timing, Ben, for her, just like that, that unfortunately was the worst happenstance ever in that this was literally, I think if my chronology is right, like the same week, right, that the Russians invaded. February, yeah. And... Right. And had that not let's say this had happened or she was trying to get out three months earlier, she, uh, you know, she would have been out. I think like they they used her, obviously, as a political pawn for something bigger. So um, I think both you guys answer this. Really, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm pretty hopeful that at least at a place like ESPN that they're actually going to give you some broad strokes like they have TJ who can come on at any time. They have they cover women's basketball significantly. So that's actually the one place where I feel like it'll um, it'll do well. But yeah, I mean, do I have faith that like local sports talk is going to like give this sort of the the large uh, the larger picture that it deserves? I, I you know, Ben, I don't know. I mean, I you know, I'm but I think places that you know are thoughtful, Washington Post, et cetera. I think you'll have multiple stories today on this stuff, and that that will be good. I think the 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 sports fan who wants to sort of know a little bit more, I think, is going to get that, which is good news. I think, and I think on you know, like the six o'clock news on ABC. Like, I think this will be a leading story. Like, yeah. I think this will be yeah. really well covered. I don't think that you're going to get this on like WFAN, um, but I think that this will be a widely, widely covered story as it should be. Okay, let me go. Let's let's make the. Uh, there's no easy segue here, but we'll make the segue to the to the World Cup. Um, Ben, you wrote about the relationship between Fox and Qatar prior to the World Cup. Um, I talked to David Neal, who's sort of the point person, the executive for Fox's World Cup coverage. Others have obviously gone down this road as well. Um, we're now into the, um, you know, deep into the, um, the, the quarterfinal round of the tournament. And I want to just get your broad picture on Fox's coverage, just so the audience knows. And I, I, I've written this now a hundred times, it feels like, and I've said it a hundred times. I think the game coverage has actually been very good. Uh, I'm, I happen to think they really improved their game broadcasters, their play-by-play people, particularly with the additions of Ian Dark and, and Derek Ray from a couple years ago, and both anecdotally as well as certainly some pieces that have been written, including like a an absolute over-the-top takedown by The Guardian. The studio coverage has not been good. You're, if you're an American soccer fan, I don't feel like... I'm sorry, I take that back. If you're a so, if you're a fan of global soccer, I don't believe you've been educated But for any teams outside of the U.S. It's, it's way too over-the-top, sort of U.S.-centric. 
every friend that I have who lives abroad has complained about the studio coverage, about how biased they're. And, and frankly, I think that one of the issues is that we right now, soccer commentary is still so much in its infancy in, in America. Um, our former players are not very good commentators. That's really what it comes down to. So Ben, I, you know, I just filibustered there. You know, once again, a terribly long intro by me. Somebody, some, and any kind of decent producer would be like, "Shut up, keep it short." So I'll go to you. Just let me ask, ask you your general thoughts. You've watched this stuff. You write about it. What, is, what has been your thoughts of Fox's coverage so far? Yeah, I, I do not think it has been great. Um, I have uh, a few thoughts. I, I think you, you just have to start with this refusal to cover anything off the field as if it's taboo or not germane to the coverage. This is. This is the World Cup, and, and often the most interesting things that are happening are the Iranian team covering their mouths or players not being able to wear um, rainbow captain armbands. And, and you've had these moments happen on the field, and, and Fox commentators probably caught between this edict of, like, we can't talk about this, but, like, do we have to say something? It's just awkward. Um, and it's really, like, a disservice to viewers. And so I think that sort of this hard and fast rule is is just really problematic and, and in some ways just like frankly disgraceful um, in the way that they've handled that issue. Um, I think you're right. I think the, the game broadcasters, I thought Jackie Oatley has been really good and I think that Ian Dark is good. I think um, the, the, the game commentary has, has been pretty good and definitely um, better um, than in previous World Cups. But I also think like the production has not been prepared for certain moments. There were a bunch of moments in the, the third game of group play, right, where the standings are changing minute by minute based on who scored a goal, how many yellow cards there are. In um, Mexico's game, uh, the broadcasters couldn't tell us who was advancing in real time. Uh, in the when Spain and uh, Morocco and Germany were, were all playing at the same time, the announcers couldn't tell you in real time who was advancing. And, and I don't know if that's the broadcaster's fault. I don't know if that's the production's fault, but but I don't know how you don't prepare for that. At, at one point, I, I recall an announcer saying, we're going to try to count the yellow cards now to tell you who's advancing. And it's like, how have you not prepared for that moment? And And the idea that you couldn't know by watching the game on Fox, like, who was advancing minute to minute as goals were being scored, as yellow cards were being out, just seems absurd to me. Um, and then uh, the studio coverage, I, I think, has really been uh, piss poor. I thought the segment um, ahead of the U.S.-England game where, you know, they, they went deep on Harry Kane and, and sort of presented him as a guy who had turned his career around because he watched a documentary of Tom Brady was like laughable, like that's the segment to get ready for U.S. England. Um, I think that, that in some ways the production has treated soccer like it's 1994 again. Like you have sophisticated soccer fans here um, who like want to learn about tactics and want to understand like why the Netherlands is going to sit back and absorb pressure from the American attack and then counter, right? That's really interesting. And I haven't, I haven't learned anything um, from Fox's coverage. So um, hopefully they have it again in 2026. And hopefully, um, I mean, they give us something that is is really like more appropriate for like how popular soccer is in this country. Kavith, I want to get your take on this just uh, for point of uh, 
sort of the reference here. They do have it in 2026. Um, and the reality, Ben, and Kavitha, I do want you to sort of give your take on this. The reality is because that's a home World Cup, you know, Mexico, Canada, and U.S., probably a lot of um, a lot of you know you take the you take the geopolitical element away because they're they don't have to you know they're definitely gonna not cover the underbelly of the United States and so it's really they could sort of get away with like it's just on soccer because it will just be on soccer but you make some excellent points there what about you Kavitha what have you from both watching it and then maybe even just you know talking to your other friends what's what's been your take of this coverage yeah, I mean, kind of what you just said was exactly what I was going to say. The fact that 2026 is a North American-based World Cup is only going to make all of these issues worse. <laughs> it's not going to get better. <laughs> well, you're not. Yeah, no, yeah. This is that's going to be. You're going to get Alexi Lawless said something the other hot dog costume. Alexi Lawless said something the other day. Sam, and I, I yeah. still have no idea what he was actually trying to say. He said something like, "If Oscar Wilde were alive today, he would love Cristiano Ronaldo." And this was the day that he signed with Saudi Arabia. And I'm just like, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love that. I don't understand it, but I do love that, that regardless. Um, <laughs> listen, and I, I also probably should preface this by saying that I wear with a badge of honor that I was banned from the country of Qatar for covering their use of migrant slave labor and building their stadiums. So uh, in about 2015, oh, wow. I think, when I wrote that. for Bloomberg. So wow. um, listen, I it, it is impossible for me to talk about mega events being held, whether it's the Olympics or whether it's the World Cup, and not talk about the geopolitical implications of them and not talk about... I mean, even without what's happening, without what's happening in Iran, without Qatar being Qatar, um, you know, when it's when it's held here, for example, the economic boondoggle of holding a World Cup in the United States or really anywhere is something that we should absolutely talk about every time a World Cup is 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 held. Um, but we're not going to. I I have a lot of friends who live abroad um, who are huge football and soccer fans, and they have had a lot of opinions about our our coverage and. And, and it has seemed to them that we are still kind of amateurs in this space. And as, you know, as a country that prides itself on our robust 24 hour minute by minute um, sports coverage, the fact that we are lacking, the fact that we're lagging behind in the world's most populous, most popular sport is, is fairly embarrassing. Um, you know, we can get we can get tactical analysis on every play of, of a, you know, 25 minutes of action in an NFL game. And we, as Ben said, can't get that for fans who want to learn about this sport. Um, and I think that that's a responsibility that we bear. I am not that person. I will fully admit that I do not understand soccer in, in the way that, um, that I could teach people about it, but that is absolutely what we need. And I'll also just add that I think that we see a huge disparity in the quality of coverage between Fox's World Cup coverage and uh, NBC Sports's EPL coverage. And that's because a lot of NBC Sports commentators are British and have done this for many years. Yeah, I, I would. So a couple things there and then we can move on to our next topic. Like, I think if Americans had access to the BBC or TSN or um, some other places that um, that cover the World Cup, I, I think they would be stunned by the just the difference in approach and the and the difference in in coverage. Um, and you are absolutely correct in terms of the Premier League coverage. And I personally, I just think that like the NBC's 
philosophy or mandate when it comes to like Rebecca Lowe or Robbie Earl is I, I just I think they allow their people or they trust their people to talk about some complex uh, issues uh, and they they trust the in many ways they trust their audience to sort of accept it. And I think if I had one frustration with Fox, Ben, if you want to sort of have a final comment on this, you certainly can. If I have one big frustration with Fox is it I just think they don't treat their uh, audience like adults during the World Cup. Like that it, that's my frustration is that like, you know, we can handle like a little bit of like discussion on migrant workers in Qatar. And like we can handle like um a little bit of a discussion on LGBTQ rights in um and the lack of them in that country. Like the fans are not going to run away from your coverage. And I think as Bob Costas told me when I had him on my podcast, like, you know, you can do it. And like the country, you know, NBC didn't get kicked out of Beijing. Like you can do it. They're not like you have power. You're a rights holder. Like it's much, they'll, they'll kick, they'll kick, um, you know, the, they'll kick Ben Strauss and Kavitha Davidson out of the country. It's a lot harder to kick a U.S. broadcaster out of the country. So Let's also keep in mind, though, Fox Sports's role in the previous FIFA bribing scandal, which also has implications here. Also, Cutter is like the sponsor of Fox's coverage. Like that's like the that's also sort of like right. Like if you watch online on the um, their 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 online feed, like I was watching one of the games and the Cutter Airways banner was like twenty percent of the screen. Right. I mean, that's the other question. But I just think like even independent of like off the field questions and, and issues. Like I had like had one thing to say to Fox for 2026 is don't treat this like the Olympics, like treat it like a sport you would cover um, because in the Olympics, right? Like we're watching badminton or watching water polo, right? Like you don't really have time to understand the different sports and sort of, you know, anything, like the second level of strategy, right? That's not why we watch the Olympics, but like in soccer, you have fans that that don't need like soft pedaled feature stories. Like they want to understand the sport. And so I would say totally independent of um, like whatever happens off the field and in the United States, right? We're not going to deal with the same issues as Cutter, but don't treat this like the Olympics, like treat it like the World Series or treat it like. Treat it like the NFC championship game. Yeah, mine, mine would be mine would be to bring in a significant group of studio analysts who can educate you as an audience on the teams that are not the United States. That 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 would just be to me game changing in terms of their coverage. But you know, they've they've had success doing what they're doing. Um the viewership numbers are good. I don't expect them to change and I just think, you know, they'll look at the th- they'll they'll just look at the three of us as a bunch of, you know, whatever, hot air, you know, East Coast soccer elitists or whatever. Um although do, it's Toronto. Do I, if I live in Toronto, Kavitha, can I, am I still East Coast or not really? I I I, I consider you to I be. I feel like I'm the. I've, I'm we sure. the North. You know, it's it's not we the East. All right, <laughs> Richard. Can I actually ask you? Do you think the viewership numbers are what they are? One probably because of momentum that the sport has has built over the years. But also, do you think there's some credence to the theory that it is the time of year that obviously November, um, November and December soccer is weird, but that people are just indoors more. Yeah, I think all I think that's all a factor. I mean, you got to remember viewership wise, and Ben and I know this. Like out of home viewership now since 2020, which Nielsen has counted, like the numbers are going to be juiced because all sports numbers are juiced now. That said, I do think that there is something to people watching communally uh, in colder eastern cities um, that has juiced it. I also think like just the sport is more popular. There's there 
the United States at its core still remains an immigrant country, right? And there are so many people who have come from places where soccer is the, um, you know, is the sport that they grew up on. And I think that continues to grow and that continues to be um, pushed in the United States. It's a great tournament. It's also just fun. It's a fun viewing experience. So I think that has added all to it. I would tell you if the games were at 8 p.m. Eastern, the numbers would be incredible. You, I think a lot of people who care about like sports viewership, I think they'd be stunned. It's just some of it is, um, I to me, like putting up these numbers at a 9 a.m. Eastern time start or a 2 p.m. Eastern time start is amazing. I'm just surprised that people are like surprised that so many people are watching soccer at this point. I'm I've like I've heard or written or like, oh, these numbers. I'm just I am genuinely surprised that people have like not realized that like how popular soccer is. and then people want to watch it on TV. We're deep. Well, I mean, you got to remember, but we're deep into the, into the, into the muck here, but you know, I don't know if you're just a casual soccer fan and you see like an MLS viewership, maybe you're surprised to see like, Oh wow. Argentina is drawing, you know, 8 million viewers. Between yeah, Telemundo I, I, I think and it's the US. world cup too. I don't think, I don't think this is, I don't, I don't think that there's much of a trickle over. hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. I think the world cup is the world cup. Yes. It's um, like, an, it's an event. I'll also say, as we're sitting here, uh, to be fair, I'm watching, or I see a first take um, screen through through my window here, and they are all over Brittany Griner's story. Okay. Okay. By the way, I mean, in the Washington Post newsroom, that they're watching first take is that that to me is the biggest story <laughs> of this podcast so far. Uh, Kavitha, <laughs> what did you want to say? Um, I, I was just gonna gonna say, Richard, to your point about us being a country of immigrants, you walk through any part of Queens, and you will not be surprised that people are watching the World Cup at every at every hour of the day. Absolutely. And if you're in a story, get some Greek food, please. All right, Kavitha, let me stick with you here. I know you wanted to talk about uh, Arson Judge, John Heyman's uh, <laughs> reporting on um, on um, Aaron Judge. You know, this does get to. Uh, I will say, you know, sort of for the record, like I worked with Heyman Sports Illustrated. We always got along. Actually, he's a very nice guy to me. But y- you, the Arson Judge thing is just a funny autocorrect. The bigger thing is like, it's just, you never, I think, want to be wrong on like any story. But being wrong on a big story, like having the wrong, a guy going to the wrong team, it's, you'll people will always remember that. By the way, I'm not sure it like affects you career-wise or anything else. Like, it's just one of those things like social media-wise where like, you know, that that's now connected to your biography till the end of time. I saw a tweet that was something to the effect of, you know, John Heyman's telling a story about the time he was held hostage and, and managed a, a great escape. And the friend that he's telling the story made an arson judge joke. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, but did you did you, you I think you you had told me before we went on there that you want there was some larger you, ha- you should have had a larger sort of take on this kind of maybe transactional reporting. I, the transactional reporting really irks me. And I say this as somebody who is not a transactional reporter. So it's very easy for me to sit here and say that. Um, the rush to be first is, is so bad for our industry. I understand why it exists. I understand why, you know, Woj and Shams and Schefter and everybody have these followings. And, and, you know, I, as, as a fan and as a reporter, I also want to know that news, but also knowing how how the tenor at winter meetings is, how how the feeling on the ground is, you are running around a, a huge hotel space um, to 17 different conference rooms, trying to gauge 
um, you know, the sentiment of players about whether or not this big name free agent is going to sign with your team, there has to be some sense of responsibility of how you of how you take that. And I'm not just saying this, I will fully caveat by saying that, uh, you know, I grew up a Yankees fan, and I had been personally following the story, obviously. But but the idea that you can get something this big that wrong, and correct it within five minutes, right? Like it didn't take very long for someone to reach out to Heyman clearly and be like, uh, this is factually incorrect. You're jumping the gun here. Um, and, and, you know, Aaron judge hadn't landed in San Diego yet. He was still on a plane. The Padres hadn't put their bid in everything about the way the story was reported was, um, haphazard and irresponsible. And people that I very highly respect, Susan Slusser, I'm not blaming her for anything, but Susan Slusser at the Chronicle was also saying that she was hearing from Giants players on the ground that they're going to have Aaron Judge as a teammate. That, I think, is less irresponsible because that is direct reporting. She was very clear about what she was hearing um, and and the constituency she was hearing that from. She did not say that Aaron Judge was a, was a San Francisco Giant. Um, but even then, I think that we have to be a little bit more measured about how we approach transactional reporting. Yeah, the the slus. I mean, I the Susan Slusher one, who I love. Um, I'm not bothered by that at all. I think yeah, that, absolutely. Know, people on the Giants, like if they're telling you that, you, I think you got to go with it, especially if you're a uh, a Giants B person. She Did qualified you? it properly. That's that's yeah. what I'm saying. That is an example of how you do this. Ben, um, I, I do want to get into Schefter with you because it's again, it's sort of this is all transactional stuff. But did you have some thoughts that you wanted to add on uh, on Arson Judge? I I think some of it just comes back to the demand side of this. It's like what like people are doing this because there is an insatiable demand for it. Um, and like, would it be nice if there were more guardrails? Would it be nice if if this wasn't like the crown jewel of sports reporting today in the industry? Yeah, but. It is. And and the reason for it is not, you know, because of John Heyman or because of Adam Schefter. It's because that's what fans want. And and you're sort of like filling this supply and demand need. Um, it, and as long as we have this transactional reporting and as long as there is such a premium and career advancement and, and, and career benefits to having that news first, like these, this is going to keep happening. Um, and, and as much as we would like that not to, I, I don't know what the, I, I don't know what we would, I don't know how to stop that from happening. I, I agree. I think the one thing that I'll say is I think I think one of the reasons this this struck such a chord with me is that there is such a misunderstanding among the general public and among general readers about what we do and about how we do it as reporters. And I think this just exacerbated that problem. I want to uh, um, go to you, Kavitha, on this, and then eventually we'll finish up with Ben on Shafter. Um, Jenny Brentis, uh the other day wrote a piece uh, on the coverage of Deshaun Watson's like return to the NFL, and I think in many ways, Ben, I know me and you have written like similar pieces on sort of how like networks or sports outlets are like covering a significant sort of bit of news like upon upon that news's return. And, you know, what she found was absolutely not surprising. Like, the there was really no large-scale discussion on Watson's return. There wasn't really um, any kind of focus on um, the women who have made these accusations. In some cases, there was sort of a little bit of joking about it, which was 
pretty bad. I, the, per, the person I feel like who really came off the best was Samantha Ponder at ESPN, who, uh, give ESPN credit, they gave her like two and a half minutes to really, I think, do a sort of a, a thoughtful take on why it's, you know, it's really, it's hard to sort of process. Like, you, you know, you're, you want to be an NFL fan, you want to watch. At the same time, you sort of see this guy on the field. You're not exactly sure what to think. Um, Kavitha, the one thing that always happens, and I know I've written about this before, is independent of Deshaun Watson for a second and anything else, man, they never, ever talk about the owners and the responsibility of the owners. Like, the, the only thing I saw was kind of just bullshit about how, man, it was Jimmy Haslam and D Haslam were really, what a tough decision for them. They, it, like, it, it, that's where I feel like the NFL rights holders really do the protection. Like, there's sometimes criticism of coaches, and there are absolutely sometimes, there are always criticisms of players. But, man, the owners always get a free pass. And the one thing, uh, had I done the piece that Jenny did, and I thought she did a, a great job and certainly a better piece, I think, than I would have done, I would have just paid attention to, did anyone talk about Brown's ownership? And just and and any kind of real discussion on on their responsibility here. No, I agree with that. And that protectionism goes so far as criticism of Roger Goodell instead of criticism of the owners that he's doing bidding for, right? Um, which which is always kind of interesting to see. I think this has been frustrating. You know, I I talk a lot about how to cover, especially when it comes to gendered violence, about how to cover this in the context of sports. You know, I understand you don't bring it up every time the guy takes a snap, obviously, but but there there is a way to responsibly and ethically do that and to not let it just kind of fall by the wayside. And it's frankly not hard. It's really not. Um, I I always point out um, when Adam Amin was covering a Baylor game and, and uh, you know, he very kind of, I don't say casually in a, in a bad sense, but, you know, he, he brought up in the middle of, of, a, of a play sequence, you know, what was what was happening at Baylor, what they had been um, accused of covering up. And, uh, and 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 it was this kind of stunning moment for as casual as it was. So, you know, these are questions that I think we, we deal with a lot. I remember when um, I was covering... Uh, which Super Bowl was it? I was covering the Super Bowl a couple of years ago um, when the when the Chiefs were were in Miami, um, and uh, Lindsey Jones and I had done you know basically daily podcasts for the lead at the time um, on on Super Bowl previews, you know the offensive preview for this team and 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 that, and we did an extra episode for that Saturday just about the Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill thing because both of us sat down in a room and we said it is irresponsible for us not to cover this. Um, again, there there is a way to do it. You just have to have that impetus, and I think you have to have the people in the room who want to have that conversation. Did you want to add something, Ben? Yeah, I, I think that um, there's sort of a baseline or there's a neutral way to do this, which I, I, it seems unconscionable to me to make jokes about it, mm -hmm. which seems um, Jenny's piece was really good, although I can't go back and look at it today um, because uh, I'm not a scab. Uh, but, but I believe yeah. it was, um, it was jokes on NFL network. And it's mm -hmm. like, it's one thing to sort of say, we're going to, you know, be hands off, um, on the story. It's another to like, actually make light of the situation, which just seemed like, uh, another level of, of insensitive or, or, uh, unethical, but there was like, how do you do it? I, Al Michaels made tons of headlines. I guess it was earlier in the season. It was, they had a Thursday night game on Amazon. Um, the same day that a big story about Dan Snyder came out. Um, and I think that it came out of a commercial at some point in the second half. And Al Michaels 
just said, these are the facts of what it, it's not that hard. And, and it, they didn't come back to it. It was out of a commercial in the second half. It wasn't like at the top of the broadcast and you move on. Um, and so like, there are ways to do it. Broadcasts have done it before. Um, obviously you're, you know, you're paying, you know, tens of really like, what is it like, like $10 billion a year combined. These networks are paying the NFL and, you know, particularly like CBS and Fox, so much of their business is tied up in the NFL. Um, but yeah, it, it, it takes like, it takes like 30 seconds coming out of a commercial in the third quarter to sort of just say, here's what you should know. And, and you can move on pretty quickly. And not yes, use euphemisms also. And not use yeah. euphemisms. One of the, you know, yeah, like, uh, co- like yeah, controversial, right. off-field, off-field off incidents, issues, you know, no, like, yeah, like, right. like, say the words tell us tell us what he was accused of absolutely I think that's a, a, a very good point yeah and uh appreciate ben you giving a shout out today jenny brentis uh and many other um uh new york times uh guild people are on uh eighth avenue um in a walkout to try don't, to get a don't read jenny's story today read it tomorrow right try to get a better deal from the new york times and certain we support their efforts all right. The uh, the last thing I want to get to is um, is Adam Schefter and like you know in terms of the uh, the profiler of Adam Schefter, Ben. I have the person here. I mean, no one's written a uh, I think a longer, uh, broader profile. By the way, Kavitha, before I get to this, let me just point out that uh, you know Ben Strauss uh, reports on the Athletic, correct? And I support that wholeheartedly. Should report very hard on it, okay? And he's obviously obviously written some things. I'm sure my bosses don't particularly like. Let me just say for the record, Kavitha, and you know this is something someone who's written media sometimes. Whenever these dudes like Ben Strauss write something, who do they always think like is giving it up? It's the other like media person, right? In the little they like, always me think and it's ben you. Are, <laughs> yeah, me and Ben are hanging out in some coffee shop trading uh trading stores. I, I can swear on the life of anybody. I have never given Ben I'm not giving that motherfucker Ben Strauss anything. <laughs> Let him work hard to get whatever the hell he's gonna write about the uh the athletic. Well, this podcast um, isn't going to help that perception. So no, I know. Guy should, yeah, exactly. I, mean, I can't believe you let me on. I know. I took you off the ban list, and I'm sure it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna bite me. But, uh, but you know, yeah, I've wanted to have you on for a little bit, so we had to do it. All right. Now that I've got that out of the way, Ben, um, you profiled Adam Schefter in July, and um, one of the things that you wrote about in there was. Um, and t- please correct me if I'm describing this wrong, but Schefter had – this was not even a story, I believe, but this was essentially a tweet, right, that he sort of was impr- implying wrongly that a grand jury's decision uh, meant that Deshaun Watson was like sort of absolutely innocent. And Schefter has had a couple of instances on Twitter, right, where he's really – it feels like um, – taken the side of it feels like either an agent sort of on behalf of a player or a player um having a very much a tone deaf kind of feel to to potential victims or what what a different story is i think this gets a little bit into what kavitha was saying and maybe this is the case that you know sometimes it feels like if you're a transaction broker or these transaction brokers they forget that there's like human beings behind the story everything is not just a transaction like like there are people's lives behind all this stuff and again this week right Schefter got a, in a little bit of soap again with a with another story on Deshaun Watson so again you you profiled him it's a, absolutely an excellent profile go back in July and read Ben's profile of Adam Schefter um 
How did, what did you make of it? I'll just make it sort of open-ended. I, I appreciate that the first adjective for the story was the longest story about Adam Schechter. <laughs> uh, no one will <laughs> anything longer. No, um, I the story this week uh, sort of fits in the same bucket as some of the stuff um, I wrote over the summer where it's like, the story is Deshaun is making progress according to unnamed sources. And it's like, if that is true, Tell us what the progress is and why are we granting anonymity to these people to tell us that Deshaun Watson is doing well? Um, you know, certainly that isn't going to fly at the Washington Post. I don't think that's going to fly um, at the athletic, but, and so absolutely right. Like you're, you're, putting news out that, that somebody wants you to put out in this case, it's clearly people close to Deshaun Watson. Um, and in talking to Schefter, I, I, I think that there's a couple things, right? Like the, the need to have the next story is greater than, than any need to offer greater scrutiny to this story. Um, and the competition for the next story is greater than it ever has been before. And again, going back to John Heyman, the results and the rewards for getting that next story are greater than they ever have been. Um, and, and he even talks about how um, it is not, the job is harder, it's heavier. Um, he obviously makes a lot more money than he used to, but it's, it's, it is harder. And I, I don't mean to offer this as an excuse for Schefter, right? The, the story was that he wrote this week about um, Deshaun Watson was, that's just bad journalism. There's no way around that. I do think, though, that it is not necessarily an Adam Schefter thing. I think that, that it is the whole job of the insider and that anybody who is doing this and anybody who reaches the stature that he reaches is going to run into the same questions and do the exact same things. Um many of the same things that 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 he's doing. I guess the one thing that I wonder is that Schefter, I feel like Schefter has reached such a point, right? Like he is the guy, I don't, it's like 10 million Twitter followers. Is there ever at some point where you can sort of dictate something to your sources because you have yes. this platform, right? And if anybody yeah. in sort of he has more leverage game, than his sources, absolutely, that would be my that's a great point. right. Like you can say, I'm not going to do this without the fear of like I'm going to lose you next time because I'm Adam Schefter, and maybe like uh, like the only other person who could probably do this is Woj. Mm -hmm. um, right. Where at some point you become so big that that you are not so dependent on every morsel of information and and that was that's sort of one of the things that sort of fascinates me about Schefter is he seems to have reached the pinnacle of sports media um but is he like more subservient to his sources than ever and I, I wonder about that like that balance of power and then if at some point how you could ever switch that one last thing about the insiders that I think is really interesting is the guys who do it in baseball are um, um, Ken Rosenthal and, and Jeff Passan. And they don't seem to get in the same issues, whether it's on Twitter, even in stories that, that the NBA and the NFL guys do. Um, 
and they write like the two of them, like, I mean, they write columns that, that, that are really good and, and they'll write even, they'll even do some features that are really good. And I don't know, is it just like, because obviously the interest is more in the NBA and the NFL, but I, I am genuinely interested why the baseball guys seem to have maintained, like, we are going to do journalism in the way that like we learned how to do journalism and the guys on the NBA and the NFL side don't really do that. Let's let's shout out to Jeff and Ken for sure. And let's also shout out to the fact that Ken was so good at his job as maintaining his journalistic integrity that his criticism of the league led to him not being invited back on MLB Network. And good for him, frankly. Um, I don't know why, why there is that kind of a difference. I think what's galling to me about Schefter, as, as Ben said, is at what point Exactly that. At what point do you have enough cachet where your integrity can come back? <laughs> um, and, you know, it would be less galling to me to see a story like that posted from Ian Rappaport because you know who employs him and you know who pays his bills and and you know that that's showing up on NFL.com. And, and you know, that's that's to me a very upfront um, upfront relationship there. I think it's very frustrating when there is good journalism that is happening at ESPN and then Adam Schefter publishes a puff piece like that um, that is clearly PR. I want to ask you, Ben, one question here. And uh, and maybe you can, because I think, you know, if anybody's going to have insight into this, it's uh, it would be you. Like, I I have known, I, I can't say like I'm friends with Adam Schefter, but I feel like I have a, um, a very good professional relationship with him. Um, I have known him to be very thoughtful. Like, I think there were times in the past, certainly, I think he's done really great journalism, NFL journalism. His personal story is unbelievable in terms of just his marriage and marrying a 9-11 widow and, and raising their kids all together. So this is not someone I feel like is just like, a robot and only like an NFL, like, you know, AI bot. Do you think that at a certain point, I think I was getting to this earlier, that there's just so many transactions and it, and it's just, there's so much news that you become immune to the news itself. And the only thing that matters is the transaction. I hope I'm asking that correct. Do you know what I mean? Where it just like everything. Yeah, I, is think it's, I think it's absolutely true. And the news itself isn't. Yeah, it. I know. I think it's, it's, it's not even, it's not even like what, what is, whatever is it in the news. It's sort of just the news itself, right. Is what you're doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think most people will say he's like a very nice man. Um, and, and like went to Northwestern, um, you know, graduate school for journalism. Um, and his personal story is, really interesting right like i you know all i he says all i have is my work ethic like that is what i have like i will outwork every single person doing nfl journalism and it's true um and i think that i think there's like like your brain speeds up and you have to think differently and he the one thing he said is is right like he's he's always on he's never said no to espn right like they call him on holidays at you know midnight he is always on and, you know, he said something to me, um, I put in the story, it was like, I, my wife doesn't want to eat with me because I eat too fast now. And he's like, did yeah, I used to part. eat this fast? I don't even know. Um, like his brain and anybody who does this job, I'm sure it's true of like Woj and Shams and these guys too, like your brain just has to speed up and, and function in, at, at a speed that, that 
I could not do like for a week, much less for 15 years. All right, Kavitha, before we get out of here, is there, uh, is there anything you want to, uh, promote or pitch? I know you, you have a real sports story coming up. You can't really talk I about do, it. I, when, I, when should we be, when should we be on the lookout for it? I think, least? I think we're aiming for the February episode. I just got back from India. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited and, um, and honored to be able to tell that story. Um, uh, on a much lighter note, you know, like I never get to cover the fun stuff. <laughs> so right, I hope probably the most right. fun thing that I have ever done in my career was yesterday. I, I taped uh, for Peyton Manning's new history channel show. So that should be fun. I think that's also airing in February. <laughs> Oh my God, Peyton Manning! Peyton Manning, there, Omaha there, Productions has a has a show on 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 History Channel. I love it, Ben. Is there any fights between athletic staffers that you want to promote <laughs> before we get out of here? Check the pages of WashingtonPost.com <laughs> slash sports. All right, so check out Ben Strauss's work. He, he there's always something interesting that he's doing, and obviously, uh, uh, keep the heads up for Kavitha's piece uh, in February, as well as her. Uh, sojourn into the world of omaha productions keep that uh make sure they have all your contacts kavitha that that's a growing budding empire there they have a lot of shoulder programming that uh that omaha productions all right ben strauss of course is a uh uh media and sports writer for the washington post kavitha davidson is a correspondent for real sports with brian gumbo as well as a uh uh, sports writer and you can find her byline in different places guys we'll do this again you guys had some good chemistry here so i like it so this is a good uh, i found my uh you know i found another austin carp chat thing kind of <laughs> connection here so this is makes me happy uh thanks for joining me today on the sports media podcast super fun thanks richard thanks i uh i enjoyed uh i enjoyed it with both you guys so thank you so much all right my thanks to ben kavitha for coming on the podcast today i appreciate uh they agreed to do this. It was a pretty quick turnaround time and uh, really good of them to, to take uh, 50, 55 minutes or so to do this. If you like these kind of conversations, head to the Sports Media Richard Deitch Archives page. Podcast before this one was Renee Paquette on her journey from WWE to working for AEW and the Cincinnati Bengals, as well as Grant Wall from Qatar. We, uh, we had Tom Rinaldi from Qatar as well, talking about his just crazy 10-day stretch of assignments. Uh, Lydell King and Mark Eisman of ESPN, their NFL Live producers on how that show comes together. Candace Parker, the uh, Hall of Famer to be uh, uh, for the, at least at the moment, Chicago Sky. Uh, talking about being a studio and game analyst across uh, the NBA on TNT, as well as NBA TV. Deirdre Fenton on uh, Mental Arc Media, on uh, sports documentaries, and uh, Jack Pearl, his book Jackson. Look, head to the archives Hopefully find some stuff uh, that you like. Please, uh, if you like this podcast, leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Cage 13 for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.